1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
2: Yahoo Sports Hockey podcast, Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie hanging out on Easter Sunday. Now, Julian, I do appreciate that you come on every week, but if there was one weekend where you could have been like, ah, I'm, I'm good. It was this one. I mean, holiday weekend, week. We don't really get the Monday off, so I thought maybe this would be the time that you'd be calling in, but uh, you're as devoted as any. So I'm, I'm actually not surprised that you're uh, willing to do it again <laughs> on this Sunday,
1: on Easter Yeah, I, th- I think if we were in a situation we were where we were able to go into church on the actual day, I probably would have been like, all right, I can't do it. But I think since we're all kind of still cooped at home, hey, maybe things change next year uh it was a lot easier for me to just kind of stick it out and and uh do the show plus like yeah you're right like we don't really get the monday off i got the friday off i don't know if you got the friday off uh
2: i don't work on fridays normally so i didn't really get it off but the good thing about this business is and i think you're learning this is that like if you bank an hour you work while there's work when there isn't work i.e the summertime you can maybe get a couple extra days off if you just trudge through the uh the, the difficult season. So uh, I'll work while the work's here, and I won't work while the work's not here. That's that's my motto, at least.
1: Either in the summer, you either just don't work, or you have uh, one of those random uh, telecommunications companies that have radio shows say, hey, do you have a whole week to host the show in a market you don't even live in? That could also happen, too.
2: I feel like that's something you and I will be looking for this summer, hopefully. Fingers and toes crossed that we get some more opportunities to do things for major telecommunications networks anyway on to what we're talking about which is the nhl and what was a really weird week like very strange things happening it's like is this halloween week is this bizarro week let me just run down the strange things that came from this week earlier in the week i guess last weekend we had a canadians fan kicked out of Scotiabank arena in toronto for carrying around Mm -hmm. nick suzuki's stick because Nick Suzuki gave him that stick because he felt bad because the puck he threw at him busted up his lip. Uh, We had Freddie Anderson playing the puck at center ice in a game I believe against the New York Rangers. Very weird highlight there. We had Ryan Hartman and Evander Kane having their little meltdown, which resulted in Ryan Hartman throwing him the bird. We had a referee, Corey Sivret, kicking the puck to a Bruins player during the game. And we also, during action. And we also had Chris Pronger joining Twitter to offer insight into player finances. Is there anything off the wall that we saw this week that, that got your attention the most?
1: Uh, I mean, I know obviously being in the market that I'm in, I saw a lot of people talk about the Nick Suzuki incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I I, should mention too, I think for the Ryan Hartman situation, I think a GoFundMe was started to pay for his fine, which is like forty two hundred dollars, and like yeah. like a whole bunch of people just started sending him money. The chorus of "Red One," I didn't, I might have missed that because that's that just sounds. Oh, crazy. you gotta
2: you gotta find it. It is it is the most. It's honestly the most ridiculous thing on this list. I think it is crazy, and I like oh I have some like. So I used to referee like little kids when I was a teenager. Really. Like and like really basic stuff, like drop the puck, let them play for 20 minutes until the buzzer sounds and then they just switch ends, like really basic stuff. But I remember once the puck coming to me and I had the urge, I think I even did it. I think I failed to resist the urge to just like put it on a tee for it because it's basically learned to skate. Like they're like little kids that are, you know, that they can't really do much. So I, I feel like the puck came to me and I like redirected it just so he could pick it up cleanly oh my rather God. than off the boards. And I felt so bad. I was like, what did I just do after it happened? <laughs> and this guy, Corey Sabret, in an NHL game did the exact same thing. He kicked the puck to the Bruins defenseman so he could pick it up cleanly behind the net. He, fe- he did that because he was in the way and like obstructed the path that the puck was going and he just put it back on that path still that's not an excuse you cannot do that in an NHL game I can't believe we haven't heard more about this I can't believe you haven't seen it you gotta you gotta check out that highlight it's it's crazy
1: yeah at least in your case you can always say oh you're just helping these kids who are learning how to skate and uh as last last I checked no one's betting on any like little kids playing no. hockey in some no. rec league. I
2: didn't have any cra- there could be crazy parents in the stands but none of them came after me at least
1: yeah, at the very least, but like we're talking about a grown man and grown man's league where there's actual betting and all this other extraneous factors doing this. This is that is crazy. I will give a shout out to the Chris Pronger Twitter thread, though, because I'm on the side that just kind of took what he wrote as information. And mm-hmm. it seems as if a lot of people were thinking that Chris Prager was crying foul for NHL players, millionaires not making enough money and and we also get that in these times uh people probably don't want to care too much about a millionaire's plight or a billionaire's plight but at the end of the day we have the lives we lead for we have the lives we lead and millionaires have the lives that they lead and i thought i've considered we're, we're journalists and media people into hockey i took it as that but I, i'm a bit surprised that a lot of people were as upset as uh, as they were i know we did the I know on the CJ show, we talked about it and CJ kind of gave a viewpoint where I think a lot of people were a little bit taken aback by the fact that uh, CJ was saying it's not about you and all that. But like, I don't know, I I think a lot of people got mad at that whole thing for nothing. But uh, definitely the weirdest one is for me is the Ryan Hartman, like flipping the bird at, at Evander Kane. Like that was that was weird.
2: That was weird. That was 10-year-old. That was like what those tykes would do. Yes. Guess, if they were really, really angry about me kicking the puck. We have to, to blur out opponents. the hand gesture. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. It's it's ridiculous. The best part of that and the weirdest part of that is Anna Kane donating only two, like donating, but only donating $200 to it. It's like right out of the playground, like really ridiculous stuff. Oh, um, no. The pronger thing, though, is interesting. like, I'm not like mad that he shared that, but I'm like, if you're an adult... I'm an adult. You're an adult. You have like both especially sort of complicated taxes and all that. But we don't have to get into that. We don't and have like, to get into that here today. You, you understand that anyone, be it an athlete or a teacher or a university professor or whatever, everyone gets about half of the money that is what is tied to their salary. Like, I don't understand why this is particularly interesting. Yeah. Austin Matthews makes eleven whatever million dollars a year, but his take home is going to be about five and a half. That's kind of how it works. And to suggest that NHL players have like extra that they have to pay for, I don't know if I really buy it. Like, yeah, okay, they have nutritionist needs maybe, but they also get to take home meals from the rink every day, which is a benefit that most common people do not have. So that's true. I, I don't know. I, I, it was more of like just pointing out the obvious, like okay, yeah, we understand that taxes are a thing and taxes impact the take-home on anyone's salary. But, you know, I think there are things that NHL players don't have to deal with that do give them advantages just as much as there's things that maybe dog them a little bit. So all in all, I just didn't find it that interesting. Am I mad about it? No. Am I, like, enlightened by it? Not at all. Because I understand as an adult that taxes and expenses are things that take away from your overall profit and rake in. So I don't know. I don't get why the outrage was what it was. And I don't really get why it's that interesting either, to be
1: honest. I guess it's just, I mean, my thinking is, is that whenever we see money attached to players, we just say this player is worth all those millions of dollars. And I guess we just kind of, we don't make the mental, like when we watch free agent frenzy for any sport, and we hear that a contract is announced for however millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. How many times do you look at that deal and you make the mental calculation in your head? Well, they're making $30 million, so they're only really going to take about 15 million of that. Yeah. You know, even in like in the NFL where they have non-guaranteed salaries, we'll look at an 82 million dollar contract. And it's only been in recent years where we start to say, start to see people say, well, that's only actually like a 16 million dollar contract. I think the reason why Chris Pronger might have done that is just because of how we normally view salaries with professional athletes. And maybe we don't necessarily make that calculation right away. But maybe I am giving him way too much credit for that because you, you do you do have a really good point. Like if you pay taxes and you are not evading them, like some people might, not us because we're good people. Uh, yeah, you, you're going to lose some of that take up.
2: Yeah, free agent frenzy is good for every you know all nhl players that are involved but better for governments that are just taking in half of that money um another important thing i don't know if he mentioned this in his thread uh because i kind of glossed over it if i'm going to be honest but i've heard people talk about it is that yeah. when you get money up front you can make that you can make that work for you and guess yes. what the common person doesn't have is money up front so if you're talking about and things we talk about at free agency, are you getting that in signing bonus? Because if you're getting money in signing bonus, you can make sure that that money recoups the money lost through taxes. So to suggest that players and athletes that get money up front aren't in advantageous situations compared to someone who has to wait for it bi-weekly or who has to go paycheck to paycheck with their finances is silly because if you get $15 million, and you're smart with your $15 million, it can become $30 million very quickly. So another thing we should probably consider when thinking about player, player salaries and, and the advantages they may have, because money up front usually means money that can multiply pretty quickly.
1: Look, that's, that's, that's some genius right there, man. Just that, That's some uh, economics with Justin Cuthbert, man. You just write that down. How We're many hockey all... podcasts are going to teach you stuff like that on a Sunday morning? Or Monday morning, whenever you listen to this. Whether you're
2: an NHL player or you're a podcaster, we're all running the same race. We're all just trying to make it work. And I think some people have it a little bit easier. But you and I, we shouldn't complain because we have it pretty good as well. I think so. And you had it pretty good this weekend because you had a, I wouldn't say front row, but you were in the building for Carey Price's return for the Montreal Canadiens after sitting out pretty much all of the season, well, all of the season up until this point, And not playing since the Stanley Cup final last July, I guess it was. Again, time weird right now. Um, But a pretty cool scene. An important moment in the history of the Montreal Canadiens in the career of Carey Price. Just give me your insights for your perch, your view at Carey Price's return to the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Man, there there have been fans waiting for weeks to know when Carey Price was going to play. We were at a point where I think a lot of people knew He was going to eventually return. It was just a matter of when. Was it going to be on the Monday against the Jets? Was it going to be, you know, a a game on the road against Columbus? Was it going to be any of the games this weekend, either the Islanders on the Friday or the Canadians game against the Capitals on the Saturday? The wild thing about the Friday is that up until Carey Price, uh, until we heard the news that Carey Price was going to play, I, I was already, at least from my vantage point, I was already anticipating that the game on the Friday was going to be emotional enough because of Mike Bossy's passing with the Islanders. The Islanders happen to be in town and Mike Bossy is from the area in Laval. So already I'm thinking, okay, for fans who go to this game, you know, even if it's just for a moment before the game or whatever, that's a way like it's going to be an emotional scene for a few people because even if Mike Bossy did not play for the Montreal Canadiens, you know, or chez and all that. They, they A lot of people love and respect him in the area, obviously. was at TVA Spa for quite some time, too. Even TVA throughout the weekend, they were doing all these tributes for Mike Bossy. So I knew going into that game, it was going to be an emotional one. And then on top of that, you learn midway through the day that Carey Price is about to play. So you have all those emotions kind of pouring in. It was a it was a bit of an interesting scene. I you know I, like one of my colleagues in the in, in the in the press box was trying to like keep it together and all that. Like it was mm-hmm. it was it was particularly interesting to see people get their emotions up for for Carey Price. Like this is a guy who was getting cheers during the warm ups. His his face is shown on the jumbotron. He gets something. They even change like the little like video intro they do before a game where they're showing all these highlights. At the very end, they show like a little like montage of, of fans wearing Carey Price 31 jerseys and everyone is just bringing up applause and yelling and all that. Like it was it was quite the scene. And then for the actual game, what was really interesting was I thought Carey Price was going to be a situation where he was going to get like tons of shots because he like the team he's, he's he's playing for is like allowed like the third most shots, like mm-hmm. I think, in the league. And like they're about three gate, they're about three goals now from allowing the most goals they've ever allowed in a season. Like this is not a very good Montreal Canadiens team. And for two periods against the Islanders, he did not field that many shots. Like the the Canadians actually played particularly well. And then the third period, the dam kind of broke, and the Islanders were able to get get their way through to carry Price. But seeing him play in spite of all of the challenges he's gone through being in the player assistance program, the setbacks and his recovery from, from knee surgery and be mindful too. I think he also had some issues with his hip in the off season as well. It was, it was cool to see him actually do it. And, and, and I know some people are thinking ahead of what his future could be with the franchise. I mean, I don't, I mean, I think if people are thinking, you know what, they're showcasing him for a trade. I don't think you're going to get that much out of carry Price in terms of whether or not he's truly healthy or whether he's worth you know, trying to trade for and whatever games mm-hmm. he's going to be able to play between now and the end of the year. So I think for a lot of fans and a lot of people, they just need to take it for what it is in that a guy who has spent so much of the franchise for the better part of a decade plus uh, is now in a situation where he's able to return, he's able to play, and he's able to continue his career and and add to a significant part of his identity. At least restore a part of his identity, which sees him playing for the Montreal Canadiens. So it's it's a very interesting story that we knew at some point was going to pop up, and it did against the New York Islanders. And I don't know, it's a it was a really it was I think just as a human being, a human being, like I I I'm, I'm rooting for Carey Price to do okay, I'm rooting for Carey Price to go on with his life and. And be better and and not necessarily be in a situation where he has to worry about injuries and pain and all that. Like it was, it was genuinely just a cool sight to see him play and to see the fans celebrate him and to see the players at the end of the game, even in a loss, go to him and hug him and dap him and all that. Like he, it was, it was a cool scene to see.
2: Yeah, I think your um, your colleague at the Athletic, Arpan Basu, nailed it with his column. Uh, just basically applauding the fans in Montreal for how they navigated that situation with Mike Bossy and with Carey Price. Of course, they gave uh, Carey Price's flowers, but they were dead silent when um, Mike Bossy's tribute uh, came over the uh, you know the the loudspeaker and all that. Um, mm-hmm. Just a, just another sign of how good how smart and how intelligent and how passionate that fan base is, uh, I think was uh, one of the stories of that night. Uh, Assuming Kerry Price did speak, uh, did you learn anything from his press conference Um, and maybe sort of on the, on the backdrop of what we were talking about with him needing this game or maybe not needing this game and how it impacts his life and his future uh,
1: moving forward. He did speak after the game and he kept saying he felt good I think there were some aspects in his play where I think he still needed to kind of get better with. But generally speaking, Carey Price seems as if he's he feels good and he's ready to go. And it came all the goalie coach for the team spoke earlier that day and also kind of said stuff along the similar vein. But another big theme that kind of came around and mostly was conveyed through Martin St. Louis, the interim head coach, At this point with Carey Price, he's going to play when he feels like he wants to play. And it could be Tuesday against the Minnesota Wild. It could be another game later on before the season's over. Carey Price at this point, even if he feels ready, like they're pretty much just going to let him handle himself between now and the end of the year. Like the team even admitted like they don't even have a concrete plan of how they want to go about uh, deploying Kerry Price between now and the end of the season. It, at this point, it's just, if Kerry feels he's ready to go for a game, that's when we're going to see Kerry Price play. And I think Kerry Price, considering what he's done for the franchise, what he's done for fans in the city, I think he's earned that right to kind of dictate how we should finish this year.
2: Assuming you have a crystal ball, in that case behind you Julian what I wish what, what do you think next year looks like for Carey Price what do you think it looks like in three years for Carey Price is he still a Montreal Canadian Is he still playing hockey what if you just had a, a hunch that you were going to if not that crystal ball what do you what do you think the future holds for Carey Price
1: I think he's staying ultimately I I, I think that Full for one, Carey Price holds all the cards here with the no movement clause. And we last heard him address his future in January when he was asked about whether or not he'd want to stay. And he said he, he intends on staying. But that also was in a previous regime where Dominic Ducharme was still interim head coach. And I know Jeff Gordon and was still around. And I don't remember if Kent Hughes was appointed at that point yet. I know Marte Saint-Louis, we were still weeks away from him being appointed as interim head coach. But Carey Price in January, just as things were starting to shift with the Montreal Canadiens, was saying that he didn't necessarily want to leave the organization. And unless he says anything otherwise, I think fans and and media people kind of still have to take him at his word that he wants to stick stick this out. Uh, This is a player who, again, has spent his entire career with the Montreal Canadiens and has endeared himself to the city. And, And fans obviously think very highly of him. But... Uh, he, again, he gets the, he has also earned the right to kind of dictate his future in terms of how he plays, but also in terms of where he plays as well. And even if the Canadians wanted to go down that road where they said, you know what, we think it's the best thing to trade Gary Price. I, I looked at an article that Pierre LeBron wrote earlier this week about a budding goalie market that could be building itself up in the offseason. And I understand that a guy like Jack Campbell could still re-sign in Toronto Darcy Kemper could easily still re-sign in Colorado. There are still other goalies out there, like Avili Husso out in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Maybe he prices himself out of, out of the Blues organization. Marc-Andre Fleury, does he want to stay around in Minnesota? Does he still want to play? But if he still wants to play, maybe there's, a, there's probably a market for his services too. Guys like Yaroslav Halak will also be available. There will be cheaper commodities for other teams to kind of pick up on. And they, that means they might not have to resort to a trade with the Montreal Canadiens for Carey Price, a guy who will be 35 in August. And mm-hmm. it's very likely the Canadiens would have to retain, if not half of his salaries, maybe somewhere short of that in order to make that work. Maybe the Canadiens might have to add an extra piece to entice a team to take him. I think there's a lot of complications and maybe the avenues for him to be moved might not be as clear. And I think at this point for the Canadians, they might just think it's just they're just better off just ensuring that Carrier Price is healthy and is able to play. And if he's able to be a competent goalie at this point, like that probably helps their situation uh, for next season and seasons beyond. I, I, I feel as if at this point, even though there's a couple of years left on that contract, I mean, unless Carey Price has a significant change of heart or the Canadiens do something really wild in the offseason that says, you know what, man, like I need to get out of this city. I still see Carey Price as a Montreal Canadians player. Until he says otherwise, I have no other reason to think that he would want to leave.
2: Yeah, I hope so. I worry about how this story ends because uh, I'm not sure it can be tenable throughout the you know the full term of his contract. And I would hate to see Carey Price shipped out for with 50% retained a player like that moving out of a franchise that it's been the face of for so long would be a pretty bitter pill to swallow, I think. Uh, So while I'm happy to see it, a little concerned about what it, what it might be in a few years, but hopefully he has still a few more years of really, really brilliant hockey to provide the Canadians and to help them uh, lift themselves up beyond what they probably should be on the ice next season, maybe over the next um, couple seasons. Uh, Definitely one of the more interesting stories to track. That goaltending carousel will be interesting to track. I'm wondering already how the Oilers managed to get no one as that carousel finally stops this summer. I was about to Uh, say, I (laughs) didn't even mention.
1: I didn't even mention, like, if you are Edmonton or any other team looking for a goalie, a guy like Jake Allen on a much more stomachable contract would be someone who I think teams would probably – it would be a little bit more beneficial for them to reach for compared to a much more bloated contract from Carey Price. Or even if they want to look at Samuel Montempo, who I know lately has not looked very good, but he's had stretches where he's looked a little better than what his numbers could suggest. There are cheaper options out there. And like I've written about this and, and people have made the point too, like you do not need to shell out a boatload of money for your goaltender as long as the team in front of you, is really good. I mean, the only exceptions, funny enough, to that rule seem to be Carey Price and Andre Vasilevsky. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, why do I feel like Vili Huso will be a Montreal Canadian?
1: That's a really, yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting thing to throw out there. But, I mean, considering the fact there were rumors that Ilya Samsonov was in the Canadians' crosshairs, it would not surprise me if maybe they move a goalie out and, or even if they don't move a goalie out, that like something, some goalie is added to the organization in the next little while. Allen's that like, got one more year. I, I think so. I forget what the contract stipulation is with him, but like I have this weird feeling. I've been thinking about it for weeks now, just because they have Caden Primo in their system. It was like a seventh round pick, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have been priming him as as the future goaltender. And while He's played in front of a really crappy Canadian team at times, and he's still getting more and more experience in the AHL. Like the road for him to the NHL is still very long. And maybe I think – I wonder if the, if the organization feels that like Caden Primo has shown enough to show that he's the goalie of the future. And if Carey Price goes down and – or Jake Allen is gone, or – and they feel, you know what, Samuel Maltempo is not worth keeping around – maybe they look into getting another goalie who could actually be like a proper transition or stopgap goalie for premium to be ready or someone that could just say, you know what, we're just going to ride him post carry price, right. And, and have a platoon, a proper platoon system. Uh, But also they could just keep Jake Allen. I still don't understand. I'll say this, like, I get why teams would want to be interested in Jake Allen, but Jake Allen's a really good goalie. And I think being in a situation where he's a one, a one B, with Carey Price, like, I think that's a, that could be a good ideal situation for him. But if Carey Price is obviously really healthy and, but then again, even then, like, the Canadians are not going anywhere, right? Like, what's the point of trying to ship off Jake Allen, I guess? But, you know what, there's a reason I'm not a GM, I guess.
2: I just think it's a good trade chip, and one of, you know, they did a great job selling their chips uh at yeah, the exactly. deadline. And they've got a couple more that they could dangle out there and I think. Jake Allen would certainly get back a decent return. That's probably why, if it's not this summer, it. it's at some time next year. And maybe you can still help solidify the position uh, for future years. Um, obviously, it all depends on uh, how healthy carry Price is and if he's willing to be in net and can be in net for the Montreal Canadians. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And a Rubik's Cube to figure out if you're Jeff Gordon.
1: Uh, the big man and can't use don't forget, can't use. I always
2: do that. I, I gotta be, I, I don't give him his respect, he should get respect. He did a great job at the deadline, although I can't help but think that
1: maybe Jeff
2: Gordon was doing a lot of it. So, I have a question do people still
1: because so, remember, like, when we were talking about the not to continue on the Canadians for a little longer here, but like, remember when we were trying to figure out okay, because Jeff Gordon is in the position that he's in, whoever he hires as GM, we're still going to look at we're still going to look at Jeff Gordon as the guy kind of pulling the strings here. I I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that perception has persisted in Montreal. Yeah. I think think people obviously look at Kent Hughes.
2: It's probably different. I I think in Montreal, you guys are talking about Hughes, but I, I I find that I just immediately reflexively go to Gordon. It's the same thing with the Toronto Raptors. Like no one, Bobby Webster gets a little bit more, but even in the market, it's all about Messiah. It's Messiah, 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 trust in Messiah. It's not, you trust in Bobby, even though, you know, there's a lot of, like, he's grown, uh, I mean, he's built up a a pretty significant reputation as well in Toronto, but everyone still worries about Masai Ujiri leaving because he is so important, and I think Jeff Gordon's kind of in that same position where it's like, it's two people working at it rather than one, but that one, that figurehead is, like, someone who really commands respect, and I think that's the case with Masai for sure, and I think that's sort of the case with uh, the canadians as well because gort like ken hughes is still a rookie and jeff Gordon has that that uh that background and that respect i think league-wide so it's probably something that's a little bit conditioned and i think it's being sort of deconditioned i guess in montreal faster than yeah. it is everywhere else absolutely okay so the big news that was big carry yeah. price coming back but the biggest news or i guess the biggest news dump was uh The NHLPA releasing uh, the the findings from the investigative reporter, third-party report on uh, its role in the Kyle Beach scandal and saga. Um, It was a news dump. It came after 4 p.m. on a holiday, on a holiday Friday. Uh, And basically the findings were simple, that the NHLPA, there was not an individual or systemic failure involved here. And instead, the reason why Beach's um, initial complaint did not get escalated properly was a miscommunica- miscommunication misunderstanding. A lot of BS jargon. Um, basically, the NHLPA and Donald Fear was able to wipe its hands clean, even though it's still pretty clear, even based on the language and what was in the report, that there was a systemic failure because it didn't go through the system properly something entered the system and got caught up in the system that in itself is a systemic failure and yet donald fear is not going to wear this uh based on what we learned on friday so your thoughts about that
1: yeah like the fact that there's a miscommunication and a misunderstanding doesn't that already imply that there is a systemic failure like I, I kept reading that quote over and over and I'm like am I dumb like am I not getting this right like this was this was not communicated correctly and there was a misunderstanding there was a, doesn't that mean there was a failure I mean we, it, it's clear there was a failure because Kyle, Kyle Beach tried to bring up a complaint it was not heard. And Brad Aldrich was still able to go around and work for other organizations and get recommendation letters and all that. Like he was still able to go about his life. Like it blows my mind that the NHLPA or or however that findings were written out, like Donald Fear should be disciplined for this. Not only that, he'll be able to plan out who his successor could be. He could just slunk out as if, you know, nothing went wrong for him. Mm -hmm. It's disappointing. And I'm not even going to get into the fact that it was just released on a holiday Friday, and there was a it was a power outage. A power
2: outage is what prevented it. You everything. gotta be, you gotta oh. be
1: kidding me, bro. You gotta be kidding me. This reeks of, of, of is it's sus. It's suspect. It reeks. It's it stinks. It's something that go to go to the like, Starbucks.
2: Go to the local Starbucks and file the report at at the proper yeah. time. Like it's. I'm sorry. That's it's, tech. Tech failure is just not an excuse anymore. It's just not. flat Go open. to a
1: Starbucks, use your phone, use the hot fi- spot use your 5G, use a exactly. hotspot, like a power outage. Excuse me? Y'all don't have a backup generator y'all could use? Like, it, it's... it's. Do, does, 2022. Does the, it's 20, does the NHLPA 22. think we're stupid? Does, does, does the NHLPA, does this firm, does the NHLPA, do, do they think we're stupid? And I mean we as in media people, as in fans, fans as in people everybody. who are just into this whole situation. Do they genuinely think we're stupid people for just – and we're just going to take this and think, oh, well, you know, the Donald Fear wasn't at fault here. There's no systemic failure. Everything is right as rain when it comes to the player association and – I'll tell you what, man, I'm sure a player looking at that file can feel very confident if they ever want to go through the NHLPA or whatever proper channels to report any problem, they could feel with the utmost confidence. I have a hard time thinking a player could feel that after seeing the findings of that. But hey, you know what? We haven't really, I don't know what other players or PA reps have actually spoken on this, but like for me, just reading it and seeing what's been out there, I have a hard time thinking that this is something that should like, like that the report as it is should stand as it is, or, or that Donald fear really was clear. should be cleared of any wrongdoing. Like I have questions. Yeah. Whatever, I mean, maybe f- it's weird.
2: Whatever the report says, it's clear that Donald fear has run a shoddy organization for a very long time and that it failed Kyle beach. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. This was, it was a complaint that was filed and it didn't go through the right channels um, in order to become what it needed to be. Now, can you blame Donald Fear for not escalating the issue? Perhaps he knew about it. They couldn't figure out if they knew about it. But, you know, it's it still is on him because the organization he runs failed beneath him. So that gets escalated to him. And, of course, that means that he did not do a good enough job. You're right. I mean, any player with a complaint, anyone with a, an issue related to the player population would be better off just writing a tweet. If the, if, if, the, if the group that represents you is not going to do its job and it's going to try to save face and it's going to try to protect its partner that it's supposed to be, you know, in the forever tug of war with that being the NHL, then why wouldn't a player or a player repro- approach its agent and just say, this is what happened. Let's get it out in the open. So real people like Katie Strang, like Rick Westhead and so on and so forth can just pick up the information that way. This is it is the NHLPA is not hasn't been there for the players in the way that it needs to be. And if you just go to anyone else, anyone else with a microphone, with a platform, with a with someone with with the ability to amplify your voice, it is more effective or would be more effective than going through the NHLPA. Clearly, this is an example of that. His organization, Donald Fears organization helped fail Kyle Beach. The Chicago Blackhawks did. Everybody did. We know this. But the NHLPA clearly failed this player and this human being right along with everybody else. And Donald Fears should wear that. Now, you mentioned he's not going to have to wear that. He's going to get through this uh, unscathed. He's going to be able to pick his successor. And I don't think he should have that opportunity. And I wonder why the players haven't, the 32 representatives or whatever it needs to be, haven't stood up and said, hey, we're going to choose the next person because this guy did not do a good enough job for us. I'd like to see that. I understand there are bigger things happening right now in that the majority of these players are involved in playoff races or whatever. But this guy has not done a good job and should not be in a position to pick the next person because it's probably going to be an extension of them. And therefore, we're going to be in the same situation as we are now, which is the NHLPA doing an inferior job than pretty much everybody else involved in this game. And that's why Donald Pierce should not be able to pick his next person. And that's why the players should stand up and say, hey, let's make this decision for ourselves.
1: There are still a sufficient amount of player reps who are not in playoff races or teams who have been already eliminated from playoff contention that should be finding themselves a copy of this report if they have not read it already. And, you know, just asking questions to the NHLPA on why the report went out the way that it did and came to the conclusion that it did. I don't know if the fact that the majority of player reps being in playoff races should be any excuse for any players if no, we be. even yeah. ask them. Like if we get to a point where we're able to be in scrums over the next week and we're able to ask for player reps, whether main or alternate player reps for each team, and we're able to ask, you know, hey, did you read this report? You know, I'd like to, I'd like to hope that the players are either aware of it or at the very least are, are, are looking to read it or at least have thoughts on what's going on here. They, this is a time for them to speak up if they feel that the way the process went is a little bit suspicious or it's a, or they feel is wrong essentially. And at the end of the day, even if for, through legal reasons or however they were able to to, to find this out, that Donald fear legally uh, was right to be cleared of any wrongdoing. You have it right. They failed Kyle beach. And if the, they, the, the PA the league, everybody needs to ensure that a similar situation never ever happens again and at the very least even if it goes out the way that it did i hope people across the hockey community will be able to retain that lesson but i also hope over the next little while we are able to put our put donald fear in the NHLPA's feet to the fire on this and continue to ask questions about it i know some uh, big media members have been writing articles about it uh i'd like to we mean obviously dropped as late as it did i'd like to talk about it on the cj show with cj like this is a story that we have to keep talking about, and we have to ask questions about because it doesn't make sense to me how a player clearly voiced uh, their displeasure and 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 these allegations that they brought, which were you know they went out the way that they did, and you and somehow an independent firm deems that there was no systemic failure and how all of this was handled. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't compute it right. You can tell me all the legal stuff. I'm still going to look at you blank face and just say, I don't get it.
2: I was mentioning earlier, uh, I failed to mention the best example of the best way to amplify your own voice being social media and not through the channels that the NHL and the NHL FPA has provided. Akeem Aliu was not, no one was listening to Akeem Aliu before he started a Twitter thread. And what happened when he put what happened to him out there into the world. We saw change. We saw punishment. We saw consequence when he shared his story to a platform that was more public, that other people could grasp onto. When he first, I don't know this for fact, but I'm assuming he had conversations behind the scenes about what happened to him and was ignored or wasn't taken as seriously as he should have been. But the moment it went out on social media, that's when something happened. So so to suggest that the NHLPA is a more powerful tool than just the Twitter account of these players is completely false. And Beach, Alleyou, all these guys are examples of that. The NHLPA has to be better. It has to be something that players can rely on and clearly under the fear regime, it was not. And it won't be if he gets to handpick his successor, because guess what? That successor in all likelihood has been working in direct in tandem with fear this entire time so how is anything at the very least how is anything going to change
1: at the very least if fear is allowed to pick his successor we are allowed to be skeptical that the successor that is put in place uh uh, we're allowed to be skeptical about whether or not they are able to implement real change within the pa and be someone that players can genuinely look to also on that list of twitter accounts uh, or i mean i know his account i don't think it's active anymore but a guy like robin Leonard when he was more active on social media, mm-hmm. that's someone who used that to his, to his ability. And I wonder how you much that the HLP, PA... yeah. exactly. Like it, it, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. And I feel for the players in that situation where the PA might not appear to be the most reliable thing for them in some aspects compared to what writing a 280 character tweet could do. It's, it's, it's a bit banana. It's a bit banana. So it's, it's, it's wild.
2: It shouldn't be that way. Um, nope. Last, last topic for us, Julian. Uh, simple question for you. Can the Oilers do the damn thing? Uh, back-to-back, 4 nothing wins for the Edmonton Oilers at, over desperate teams in the Nashville Predators and Vegas Golden Knights. It improved the Oilers' record to 8-1-1 over the last 10 games. They are playing a lot better, and they are stepping into the postseason against, probably at home, against either Los Angeles or the Vegas team that they just beat the Oilers look like they've captured something here. Are you buying in to what's happening around Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl once and for all?
1: I, I, I don't know yet. I don't know if I want to jump on and be like, they're all in. Uh, I mean, of course they're all in, but like, I don't know if I want to say that they are. I, I mean, I, I, then again, I have questions for every single playoff team at this point,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: I, I think for the Edmonton Oilers, the fact that they finally picked themselves up and it seems as if some of the changes they were able to make or not make, they are working at least to this stretch of the end of the season. Good for them. I guess uh, Mike Smith <laughs> back-to-back shutouts. I don't know. I, I think I accidentally called him being good on zone time after Avery had that speech about how Stuart Skinner should be called up. And I kind of jokingly said, no, I'd rather see Mike Smith start. And look, he did really well. Good for Mike Smith. Also, and I think I've mentioned this either on this podcast or on other platforms, you know, I'd say all the time, don't get bored of Connor McDavid. I, I there's a reason why I made him a tire pump, but like him and, and Leon Drysidel are producing very well. And I don't find we've been talking about that team a lot compared to other teams, maybe a little bit closer or, or in the market that you happen to be in or other teams along the East Coast are trying to make pushes for the playoffs here compared to what we could be talking about with the Edmonton Oilers. But maybe it's because we exhausted all of that through the first half of the season when they were actually looking really good before CJ inevitably cursed them by saying that they were a pretender and then they kind of fell off. But like, yeah, I'm going to wait until the playoffs at this point with the Edmonton Oilers. I think at this point, while it's good that they were able to get the wins they were able to get in the back-to-back shutout wins. Like I I think at this point with the Edmonton Oilers, I need to see it where it really matters. And ultimately it will very much depend on who they play. If they're going up against the Vegas Golden Knights, a team that will hopefully in their case be healthier. I have a lot of questions about how that'll hold up in a playoff series. If the LA Kings somehow are able to, to hold up their end and they're able to stay in a playoff spot. As I think it's them. They don't have any more playoff teams to play against, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they have that, an easier schedule. Exactly. So that could also affect things. I might feel a little bit more comfortable saying the Oilers are better. Against the Vegas Golden Knights, That's a risky bet. And I mean, it makes sense being in Vegas, but it really depends on who that first round team is. I'm not ready to jump on the Oilers' bandwagon.
2: Yeah, the Oilers took a pretty sizable step into not facing the Vegas Golden Knights by shutting them out on Saturday. And whether this is important or unimportant, McDavid and Dreisaitl, zero points in that victory. It was the supporting cast and Mike Smith who helped secure that victory or played a major role in securing that victory. I think that the only thing we can really say for certain is that the coaching change was the right move. Uh, Jay Woodcroft has clearly found something that Dave Tippett didn't have, whether it's just the respect of the locker room or actual tactics. I think a combination of both, given what the team has said since the transition would indicate that, yeah, they, they have more belief in the head coach, uh, but they're also just in a better headspace because Dave Tippett is no longer there, but he's actually changed things. I mean, the Oilers have played an 11 forward seven defenseman thing, Uh, For the last little bit here, and they've got some great success out of it. And I think when you're a team that is top heavy and has questions on the back end, that it should work that sort of strategy could work very well for a team like the Oilers because what happens when you go to 11-7, you accentuate what you have from the forward position and we know the Oilers have a lot of good forwards that they can just give more ice time to but also when you have problems on defense and you have guys like Tyson Berry who are only good on the power play and a couple others at the bottom like Chris Russell who are more of you know let's get him out on the penalty kill and let's have him block shots you can play those guys situationally more and it gives you more options on the back end so maybe they found something here with this 11-7 maybe we're putting too much into or I'm putting too much into this 8-1 and 1 run but I feel like if they get LA and again they took a major step toward getting LA with LA winning and then themselves beating Vegas like, I think they're going to be heavily, heavily, heavily favored in that series and should be. And then we're going to get that battle of Alberta and who knows what can happen because Calgary, they've been so, so good. They've been dominant. They've they crushed them a couple of weeks ago. But I think it'll be entertaining and fun. And that's the best thing for a hockey fan is a battle of Alberta in the second round. And I think the Oilers can, whether it's Vegas or L.A., keep their end of the bargain there just by the way they've been playing over the last little bit here.
1: Imagine we get a wild first round with all the matchups that look like it looks like we're going to get. And then the second round, we get the Battle of Alberta. Like, I don't want to call, I don't want to call it early. We could be in for the best Stanley Cup playoffs we've seen in a very long time. Maybe maybe I'm, I'm jumping the gun here. But it, 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 if it works out, we could be in for one of the best playoffs we've seen in a very long time.
2: If it works out perfectly, like we could get Battle of Alberta second round, we could get Toronto, Florida second round. If Tampa Bay crosses over, we could get something like Tampa, Pittsburgh or Tampa, New York. That would be great. Maybe not as juicy. Insane. And in the Central Division, whoever Colorado faces in the second round, be it St. Louis or Minnesota, is going to be insane. So the second round could be absolutely off the charts in the first round. We know is going to be good because it's always good. Julian, tire pumps. Do you have one for us this week?
1: I was going to just give it to Carey Price. Uh, nine months and eight days in between games, and he was able to, you know, play for the Montreal Canadiens on Friday night, and also uh, to the Islanders and uh, the family of Mike Bossy, who unfortunately uh, passed away earlier this week. It uh, just look I wasn't around for Mike Bossy at his height, but to see his statistics. And the goals he was able to score, the fact that he had his down years last year in the NHL, 38 goals, it's undisputed. He's one of the greatest goal scorers to have ever graced this earth. And it was unfortunate that injuries kind of cut his career short. Uh, and unfortunately, we no longer have him with us. So uh, I, I'd like to obviously you know, extend my condolences to his family. And uh, I think he, uh, his family, and Carey Price and what he's been able to go through and able to rise above – they are deserving of my tire pumps for this week.
2: Yeah. I mean, I kind of uh, revealed my hand earlier when I mentioned uh, Arpon Basu illustrating exactly what makes Montreal Canadiens fans different with the way that they approached Carey Price and Mike Bossy and everything that went into that game against the Islanders. So I'll keep it with the Canadians. I think the Canadians fans deserve a tire pump for their role in what was a special night with Carey Price uh, returning to the crease at um bell center uh anything else that we haven't touched on that we that we should before we wrap this up and get to our easter sundays
1: man uh nothing particularly off the top of my head beyond the fact that uh you know happy that uh i'm just just getting excited for these games in the playoffs right even though i'm not going to be covering a team in the playoffs i'm i get to be like a nice like bystander like hanging back and just watching Omar while out on his like Twitter street or whatever streams he does or whatever he's going to do for the playoffs. And I'm just looking, like I had a random thought just like driving to the bell center the other day. Like remember when we did that episode of, of the Ice we're podcast after game seven of the first round with the Leafs and, I spent the whole like first part of that episode just laughing just because I couldn't believe what was going on. I'm probably gonna do that again when the Leafs eventually get eliminated in the playoffs. Cause I mean, look, we all know what's going to happen. <laughs> Leaf Elimination Day has been a staple since 1968, essentially. So it's going to happen. And I guess you can play this clip if you find it, if you find ourselves looking at the Leafs in the Stanley Cup finals. I, I'm willing to wear it. It's fine. I'm willing mm-hmm. to get dunked on. I just don't expect to get dunked on. So we'll uh we'll we'll see how that goes.
2: I haven't completely unpacked my thoughts, but I'm going to have a very difficult time picking against the Maple Leafs in the first round. I don't know if they can beat Florida in the second round. I don't know if they can get to a conference final or Stanley Cup final. I don't know if the goaltending will, keep, uh, will be able to hold up. But this team is different than it has been. And I'm not saying, from a mentality standpoint, I'm not saying that they're ready to take that step, those core four guys. But I see a third line. And depth on this team, that is game-changing. Ilya Mikheyev, Pierre Engvall, these guys are dominant right now for the Maple Leafs. And what have we seen in the last few playoffs? If it wasn't coming from Matthews and Marner, it wasn't coming at all. I just have more faith in the rest of the team this year than I have. So I'm going to have to fully flesh out everything and all all my thoughts. Tampa is going to be very difficult. It looks like it's going to be Tampa at this point because they they just don't lose Tampa anymore. Uh, no. it looks like that's what it's going to be. And it's going to be the most difficult possible out and the toughest scenario to be in if you're the Maple Leafs. But this team, every time it has a test, every time it's Washington or Tampa or Florida or Boston, they just throw they just throw everything at the opponent and it looks really good. It's going to Yeah, be but fashion.
1: then they have games against the I mean, I know they beat the Canadians the last time, but the fact that it ended up as close as it did in the last time, like they've had all their games against they, the Canadians clear, all year.
2: They're clearly like, taking their foot off the gas against bad teams. Like they haven't performed that great against bad teams in the last month, but every time they have a stiff test and I'm, I'm going back to like January one, they have rose to the occasion. It is like the way they humiliated Washington at times in that game uh, last week. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, if it doesn't work now, I don't know what will ever work because this is the best know, team that I've seen uh, Kyle Dubas put together a hundred percent. Hey,
1: look, Hey, look. I mean, I said that about the Canadians last year, and look what happened. Maybe it'll work out for you with the way you said that. I don't know. I mean, not really work out, but you get what I mean.
2: Hey, I'd like to. I'd like to be like you and cover a team all the way to the Stanley Cup final. That'd be great. I you will should, be. I will yeah. be uh, covering the Leafs very closely when the playoffs do begin. Uh, I want to figure out a way to have you on as much as possible so that we can break things down from, uh, you know, the, the league wide perspective, but also to get your thoughts on the Maple Leafs, if, and when they do go down as you, as you predict, uh, <laughs> we'll figure, we'll figure out how to do all that. But I do want to give a small tire pump, a, an honorary tire pump to Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris, who were caught singing in the killers karaoke after losing to the Leafs in overtime oh Saturday night. Like I got, honestly, I love it. I love it. Uh, these guys should be able to have some fun, and the fact that Brady Kachuk always chooses to show his personality makes him one of my favorite players, so shout out to those guys for not, you know, if they are going to go out, we, we know all player, hockey players go out. If they are going to go out, like, yeah, sing karaoke, not sit at a bar or sit at a club with bottle service and be afraid to, like, put yourself in front of everyone. I think that Brady Kachuk uh, is pretty awesome for singing karaoke at a local Was bar. Was it Mr. Brightside? Is it, was. it Mr. Brightside?
1: Yeah, yes. That's, that's That's like the killer song. That that might actually be one of the most timeless songs of all time. That's a song that came out in like 2004. And every time you hear it, like mm-hmm. it sounds like something that could have easily been put out today. The Killers really put together one of the greatest songs of all time.
2: The Killers have like the ultimate wedding playlist. Like you can throw on a few Killer songs and you'll have like the entire dance floor singing and having a good time. They are low-key, very important in wedding situations. Well, uh, I'll let you chew on that for future consideration. Sounds
1: like sounds like some, one of us had the killers at their <laughs> wedding, but one, only one of us is married. So we can
2: figure out who that is. It is very possible that that happened. Uh, we will leave it there, Julian. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. It was another fun episode. Uh, we're two weeks away from teeing up the postseason. It's still mm-hmm. a bit of a long grind to the start of it. Uh, but we'll have our ducks in order back by then. And we'll talk next week and likely on zone time in between. So until then, appreciate you, buddy. And we'll talk next time.
1: Appreciate you too. Peace